0: what your country can do for you ask what you can do for your country
1: hello and welcome to episode 207 of public interest podcast with your host jordan cooper where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. We're here today with Ford Taylor. After graduating from Texas A&M University, Mr. Taylor became the owner and operator of a small apparel company that he grew to become one of the largest companies in his industry in the United States, the publicly traded Brazos Sportswear Corporation. Under Ford's leadership, Brazos grew from a few small individual investors to an operation with $300 million in sales. Ford eventually left Brazos and developed a training and coaching system called Transformational Leadership, where he shares the principles that grew Brazos into one of the largest companies in the United States with others. Ford now transforms the culture of organizations in many different cities and countries, from small small privately owned organizations to Fortune 500 companies. To learn more about Ford Taylor and his transformational leadership principles at tlondemand.com or transformlead.com. Ford, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing?
0: Jordan, thank you for having me on with you. I'm doing really
1: well, and it's an honor to be with you. Well, it's a pleasure to have you with us as well. The first question I'd like to pose to you is, what are you currently doing, or what have you ever done to advance the public interest,
0: and why? Uh, Well, you know, Jordan, my background, as you just talked about, truly in business, a lot of my career was really self-focused. It was really about, you know, how much more successful. Could I be? Uh, how much bigger could our company be? And then one day a light bulb came on that you know this I'm not the center of the universe. And, and in that growing of the company, while we had a lot of successes, I had a couple of major failures. Uh, one of those was personal with my with my wife, where I ended up cheating on her. And, and so uh, with with the with the successes came a lot of pride, a lot of arrogance. And after that, I realized that you know the world's a whole lot more about serving and training and equipping and helping others than it is about my own personal success and so this training that we do really is about going and giving other people teaching them what I call the tools ingredients and behaviors to help them be more successful and much less about my own success that's quite an interesting story of transformation
1: can you elaborate a little more about what it is um, that 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 you try to teach uh individuals through transformational leadership what constitutes uh transformational leadership and to what extent is service uh, a part of that leadership
0: that's a, that's a great question we you know the one of the things that when we teach leadership we say that the best leaders are those that are willing to lay down their life or set aside their own needs their own agenda so they're willing to lay down their lives for something greater than themselves, and that is to to serve and help those with whom they lead or have influence. And within that, we, we say the purpose of leadership is to cast vision, to serve, teach, train, equip, empower, let go, and then evaluate how the team members are doing going toward that common vision. So as leaders, the best way we can serve those that we have influence, So, if if you can think about that as the definition, that a leader is willing to lay down their life for those with whom they have influence or lead, if you can think about that being uh, uh, alongside what we teach as the purpose of leadership, then we think the purpose of leadership is to, number one, cast vision. And after we cast vision, our role as a leader is to serve those with whom we lead by teaching, training, and equipping them in their area to be able to go towards a common vision, and once they're taught, trained, and equipped, we now can empower them. We can let go, and as leaders, we now can evaluate how they're doing. Moving towards that common vision.
1: So, so I'm the interested in this.
0: Artist leader is to teach, train, and equip. Yes. So,
1: Ford, I'm interested in this concept of leadership because prior to your epiphany. You were quite successful in growing Brazos to a multi-million dollar corporation. You were successful in getting better returns and growing revenue and expanding your market share. So to some extent, many would call you a leader up to that point prior to your epiphany. Of course, when you came to that uh, new understanding that you weren't the center of the universe as you described, Uh, it sounds as though you you had a new understanding of what leadership can be. Can you reflect on the sort of leadership that you demonstrated, which many were very happy with uh, prior to your epiphany, and and juxtapose that to your new understanding of leadership that you uh, discussed through
0: transformational leadership? Well, I actually, in my business life, if you will, demonstrated what I'm talking about. You know, I did serve. I did teach, train, and equip our employees. I did empower them, and we had tremendous growth. It was my private life with was the problem. And it was what I put myself out to be publicly. In other words, I would teach morals and integrity and, and do all the right things, pay your bills on time, you know, uh, sell for higher than what you produced it for. I mean, all those basic business principles. Uh, I did lead most of the time in what I teach now, so it worked. It was my private life that was not lined up with my public life. That's shows so I got in trouble.
1: So it sounds like there's this concept of integrity where you do what you say, and prior to this transformational moment in your life, there was a discrepancy between what you said and what you did. The perception that others had of you was of the person who you now have actually come to embody in every aspect of your life. Is that correct?
0: yes I'm now trying to actually be that person that I put myself out to be and when I applied these tools to my family uh, to my children to my marriage to my pro to my personal life I mm-hmm. found that they worked there just as well as they did in the business life and they work in the education system so they worked along across all the different spheres my big fit my big fall came because of the private wasn't lined up with the public life now
1: you have mentioned and, and written and spoken about America's leadership crisis. Could you elaborate on what constitutes that crisis and how we can go about remedying it?
0: Well, I, I believe that the leadership crisis in America is based on the fact that we, as leaders, and I was one of these leaders, and so I, I, I get it. I'm not, I'm not judging others, but it comes from the fact that we we've evolved to a place in leadership that we care more about how we're seen, about what people think of us, then we care about the people that follow us. So we're more concerned about if if we say or do something wrong, you know, we'll publicly, we'll defend it. You know, whether it's in a company, you know, parents, you know, not being vulnerable, transparent with their children, you know, they, they care more. So when I had to confess to my children, for example, what I had done, I have three daughters, I mean, to tell them what I had done instead of keeping it private means I care more about them than I do how they feel about me because I didn't want them to ever experience what I experienced. And I wanted them to know if they were ever tempted to go where I went, don't go there, come talk to me about it. Don't have that failure. And and so it's not just at a governmental level, level it's not just at a business level. I mean, it's at a church level, it's a family level, and I think the crisis is that we need to learn – to care more about the people who follow us, the people who vote for us in politics, the people who work for us, than we do about how we look or are perceived to them.
1: Now, why do you suppose we've come about to this crisis? Why are so many uh, leaders in our society, uh, both in business and in politics and in other areas of of the of society, why are so many leaders more concerned, as you say, with the perception of how they're doing and who they are and what they're about than they are with the welfare of those who follow them?
0: Well, you know, we can choose as leaders whether we want to walk in a place of vulnerability, transparency, or whether we want to walk in a place if we have to be right. And you and I both know that the media is out there, especially with leaders that are in the media, and, and they quickly jump on pretty much any time we do something wrong. And if we, if instead of defending what we did wrong, I'll give an example. So, Jordan, let's say that I make a mistake on your show today and, and I say something that's just way off base. And some of your listeners call you and say, Jordan, why did you have that Ford Taylor guy on your show and allow him to say X? And if you're in, a, if you're in an agreement with them, and if you really cared about me as a leader, what if you called me and said, hey, Ford, can I share something with you? I want to give you some feedback that I got, and I want you to know I agree with that feedback. I may be wrong, but I just want to ask you about something you said. And let's say that you are correct, that I'm like, man, that is not something that should have come out of my mouth. Well, instead of trying to make an, an excuse or defend what I said, what if I said to you, you know what, Jordan, you're right. I did say that, and that was wrong of me to say that, and I'm sorry. And if you can, find a place in your heart to forgive me. I give you permission to hold me accountable to never do that again. If you would let me, I would love to come back on your show and apologize to your audience for making that kind of mistake. And by the way, Jordan, if there's anything else I did while I was on the show, then I need to apologize for. Now that's the kind of leadership that I would say I care more about Jordan and his listeners than I do about how I look if they called and said I made a mistake. That's just an example. And so and, and leaders in business, if they make a mistake, what if they stood before their employees and said, hey, guys, I want y'all to know I made a big mistake, it's okay, we're going to get through it, but not blame the other people around them and not try to cover that. What if moms and dads do that with their children? See, so that, that level of vulnerability, transparency, I think people would follow it, and I think we really could make a difference in the world if we walked in that posture instead of, uh, I did it, you now i got it and do what I did.
1: So it sounds like there are, I guess, two avenues of thought that you just exemplify. One being uh, an individual who makes a mistake, owning up to that mistake, admitting that mistake and being accountable to that mistake and apologizing for it and then changing his ways as opposed to, uh, obviously, there have been examples uh, in politics where someone has apologized and then gone back to the same thing and never stopped um, and was really more sorry for getting caught than for actually doing the act. And the second thing it sounded like you were saying is that uh, when media outlets are able to capture uh, one of these mistakes, instead of immediately running to vilify the person in order to get more hits or listens or or increase subscribers or, or listenership, that the media ought to go to that person who made the mistake, make them aware of it, ask for their feedback, and provide them an opportunity to comment before running the story um so that it may have i guess a more nuanced approach to how that mistake might have been made uh is that pretty much in line with what you're saying what you're trying to advocate for
0: absolutely if both of those things happen i think we get a home run i really didn't think we really do start caring more about our listeners and our followers but even if the media wouldn't do that even if they don't do their part what i'm saying is we as a leader even if you didn't do that if you came back on your show And you started hammering me for what I said, which I can't imagine you would do something like that. But if you did, it still is up to me to call you and say, wow, Jordan, you know what? I did do what you said I did on your show and apologize about it and say, would you let me come back on and make it right? Instead of, would you interview me and let me defend what I did? So
1: I'd... I'd like to ground these theories in concrete examples of how you turned Brazos from a small company into a large multimillion dollar corporation. Um you a lot of you, you graduated at age of twenty two from college and uh a few decades later you're you've turned uh you've become enormously success, successful with your business. Could you walk us through you mentioned that you might have had some personal foibles, but you said that you exhibited um, leadership that you're proud of publicly, um, in when you were leading Brazos Sportwear Corporation, can you speak about how you were able to transform a small company in, in, into such a, a large corporation, and how your leadership uh, at the helm of that corporation brought about that change?
0: Okay. Well, first of all, when I graduated from college, I went to work for a local sporting goods store because my fiance was. My girlfriend was a freshman who had become my fiancée when I was a senior, so I stayed in College Station, Texas, so she could graduate. I then went to work for a different sporting goods store in the, the, the year before she graduated. At that store, we sold everything from guns to uniforms and T-shirts. We had a screen printer who would put numbers and names and stuff on our uniforms, and one day the bank called me and said, we're closing that company down. You need to find someone else to do your printing. A couple of days later, the bank called me back and said, hey, is there any chance that you might want to take on the ownership of this screen printing company, to debt, and see if you want to be the owner? Well, back then, I'd never heard the term due diligence. You know, you're 24 years old, basically 25 by the time we closed it. And so I said, Well, hey, let's do this. Well, from that, it, the company was severely broken. Uh, six months into it, we didn't think we were going to make it. We basically changed the strategy about going to customers because we didn't know how bad the reputation was in the company when we bought it. And I would go to customers and just say, hey, you know, we're we're new owners. I know the old company made a lot of mistakes, and I'm just going to irritate you until you give me an order. I was young enough at the time I could get away with this. And once you give me an order, if we mess it up, I promise you I'll never bother you again. You'll never have to hear from me again. And the older people would laugh and give us an order. In the process of that, we started looking at what's making this company, what made it not successful. And what I learned is in college, I learned how to manage. I learned management. As I was growing this company, I realized there's a big difference between leading and managing. And so I started understanding if I could lead the people and manage the processes, policies, systems, and procedures, that those two were very different. That if I managed people, they were miserable. I was miserable. If I manage my children, they're miserable and I'm miserable. And so I started separating the two between leadership and management, and had a, at that point started implementing some principles about how to resolve conflict, you know, how to do discipline, uh, how to how to make a sale through a model we developed called the Wall Model, you know, how to approach a, a claim, how to have a management meeting.
1: Um, and Ford, how, if, if if I, I could, Ford, if I could interject for a moment there. Um, You mentioned that you learned that you ought to lead people and manage procedures and and that a a leader should not manage people. Did you come to that conclusion? Did you arrive at that wisdom through trial and error, or was there some sort of mentor or another process that led to uh, that insight?
0: Well, I I worked at a local sporting goods store for three years in high Mm -hmm. school, and then my parents owned a small company. And I think that just, sure working with people who did business this way, it just mm-hmm. it became a part of who I was. You know, that they, they cared about their customers, they cared about their vendors, they cared about their bankers, they cared about their employees. And while I don't know that anybody ever said to me, well, nobody ever did, lead people and manage processes or procedures, I think I saw that. And then as I was running my own company, I think I was naturally doing that. But then to be able to put verbiage to it, to be able to show other people how to replicate it, I think that was the difference.
1: And so you learned how to manage procedures and and lead people, uh, and then the business exploded. How did you expand from uh, one store a few stores with a bad reputation to such a large profile uh, organization?
0: Well, then we bought a couple of other companies. So once that one was successful, we bought another broken company, and that was successful. We bought another one, and we started realizing that these companies are not that hard to fix if they had the tools, ingredients, and behaviors on how to fix it. And so we went in and started teaching them not just how to do the transactional side of business, you know, not what I call the task or transactional side. We also focused on the relational and the cultural side. And when you do both of those together, it's not either or, it's both. We found some pretty good success in fixing these broken companies. Uh, then one day a mergers and acquisition company called me, venture capitalist called me and said, hey, we'd like to buy a uh, part of your business. I sold them the majority of it, stayed with them, and started using their money basically to, to continue to expand the growth. And then we started buying bigger broken companies than I was buying, going in putting these principles in place, putting the management team in place there, then buying another one, another one, and ultimately one day for myself is something I didn't really care to be, but the CEO of this big company, by uh, going through that process. But it was mainly through, uh, for years, it was through buying broken companies, fixing them, putting the team in place, and then going and doing another one.
1: It was almost like you were an internal consulting company going around to different companies, acquiring them, and instead of being hired out as a management consultant to swoop on in and change the culture, you would just buy up the company and change the culture yourself.
0: Yeah, it, it, that's really basically what we did. I and mean, then When we worked with the venture capitalists, uh, obviously for them it was more about making money than the culture, which is fine because we were using their money, uh, mm-hmm. but we were able to start doing it on a larger scale. What was that is correct? What what was it that
1: drove you every day? Was it did you have a passion for sportswear or was it the competitive nature of just trying to do bigger and 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 increase sales? What was it? Was it more competitive? Was it the the nature of of the business? What was it that was driving you? Why did you wake up every morning?
0: That, that's just a, that's such a funny. It's going to be a funny answer. Okay, it's hard for most people to believe. Uh, But my wife, you know, I'm, I'm married to an angel. You know, she forgave me for my behavior. We've been married for over 36 years. But she still tells people to this day that my husband has never been driven by money, that he'd be happy living in a tent as long as the family was together, hopefully have an air conditioner, but just be together as a family. However, I have been driven by seeing a huge improvement in an organization financially, and relationally, that that drives me. I've just never really cared who got the money, and so the drive was to see improvement again in an organization financially, but also relationally, and that's that's always driven me, and to this day it still drives me. It
1: sounds like you were more care- you cared more about building something um, than seeing and, and seeing an improvement than you were about making. A profit profits were nice but it's about building something that you could say you built that and then seeing improvement um, because of your efforts is that that's basically what you're trying to convey right
0: that's it and most people who do that kind of thing and there's nothing, like, I'm, there, I'm, there's nothing wrong with that but most people are highly driven by money that do that I just happen to be not that just happens to not be the driver for me which which makes what I do now a lot easier because I'm not giving by money. I really am driven by seeing people's lives improve and organizations improve, and so it, it makes this work a lot easier.
1: So Ford, when we're
0: talking about
1: some, you know, you went to work every day because you cared about what you were building. I'd like to transition into a conversation about what you have built. I'd like to ask you to opine for the benefit of our listeners on exactly what you've built. Um, what what is the legacy uh, that that you're leaving um, in in your in your field and and in our society? Uh, what does it mean? What, what have you built? What are you proud of? What have you accomplished throughout your career, especially within the context of how those things have advanced the public interest and made lives better for others?
0: Uh, well, one of the things I'll, and I'll try not to. Hopefully, in an inappropriate way, be proud because I've been there before. So I want to be sure I'm appropriately proud (laughs) of what I'm going to answer. One of those is my family. I'm very happy and pleased with our family unit, with my marriage, uh, with our three daughters and what's going on there. That's very important to me. Uh, The second thing is one thing I, I learned about 15 or 20 years ago is there's lots of cookbooks out there. And there's lots of books on how to cook. There's lots of leadership books out there. There's lots of theory, but there weren't many that I could find on how to lead, when to lead, who to lead, where to lead. But there's a lot on what. And so I, what we what I've tried to do what we have built is basically what I call a spinal column, a format that lays all that out. That it, it, not just the what leadership is, but the how to do it, how to lead people, how to manage processes, systems, procedures, and and actually a a cookbook, if you will, a book of tools, ingredients, and behaviors on the how, the who, the what, the when, and the where, and and my hope is that that cookbook influences individual lives, which influence families and business organizations and churches and ultimately cities and who knows, maybe one day even in ocean.
1: Can you uh, provide a concrete example of how you implemented that spinal column while you were at Brazos?
0: Uh, yeah, so we, so if we go into a company that's broken, uh, usually the morale is down, The people know the company's not doing well. And so the first thing I, I go in is I would go in and, and say, everybody around the room, I'm just going to do this quickly, okay? Uh, everybody share just you know a couple of minutes about who you are and why you're here. Everybody just go around the room and share that. And then I teach them about affirmations. Let's go around the room and let's affirm each of the people for something they might have said or who they are and what they do here. And so I immediately start building a team. Uh, Then from there, I I say, okay, guys, when we're working together, how are we going to treat each other? How are we going to deal with it if we break the agreement? So we put this covenant, this contract in place on how we're going to do relationship, how we're going to resolve conflict. And so we lay a foundation with all that. We talk about that there's a difference between relational people and transactional people, and we drive each other crazy. So if we can learn to honor the other end of the continuum instead of driving each other crazy, look how much more successful we'd be because transactional people need relational people in their lives and relational people need transactional people. And then we talk about what keeps us from being better leaders. And we talk about the fact what anger does to core beliefs, You know how our brain works, how we learn, And we start teaching people how to get through some of that stuff. And we give a little tool of how to do a self-evaluation process. We talk about the difference in men's brains and women's brains. We give models of how to listen better, how to communicate outwardly better, the importance of first impressions. But 93% of what we communicate is through our body language and our tone of voice, only 7% is through our words. And then we give a model of how to have a management meeting, how to have dinner with your family, that builds the unit in a way that people are going, whoa, I can't believe that built my family unit better. And then we talk about five stages of building an organization, stage one, two, three, four, five, and then we give the, the different tools, ingredients, and behavior in each stage how to get to five, level five leadership. And then we talk about how to write a BPMOSA, a uh, vision, purpose, mission, objective, strategy, action, and we talk about the importance of not focusing on symptoms all day but really focusing on what is the biggest constraint, because if we can solve the biggest problem, a lot of the symptoms go away, personally and in business, and then we talk about the importance of having bumper buddies mentors, people that we walk the road with, that if we start getting off the road, that they love us and trust us enough to bump us back on. And in the middle of all that, we're putting solid business practices of how to sell, you know, how to produce, how to have good policies, how to do discipline. You know, there's a tool we teach on how not to keep an employee in your company that you don't want because they're an underperformer or full relationally, and at the same time, you never have to fire anybody again. And so we put those tools in place, which really lowers the stress in the organization, So, so roughly that's just a few of the things that we go through.
1: And I appreciate you sharing those nine or ten different uh, tools within this final column. Just as a, as a pr- brief rough figure, could you uh, estimate how many people might have been employed at Brazos while you were there? Very roughly,
0: uh, one, yeah, one, when I left, there were approximately 2,000 employees. Uh, when I left, so over history, I, I don't know that number, but that's about what was going on all.
1: Sure. So 2,000 individuals. So are you expecting all 2,000 of them to be leaders? And you know, or what if you, at the very bottom, what if this it's a guy who's in charge of um, being a janitor and cleaning up at night? Uh, I mean, maybe there's somebody who's not managing anyone who is the lowest person in the team, maybe graduated fresh out of school. Are you expecting everybody to be a leader? Is leadership something for everybody? Is it attached to position, or or is it something that anyone can exhibit uh, in any stage? Even if you're following and being managed and you're the lowest man, lowest man on a totem pole, you're still exhibiting leadership. Can you just flesh out a little bit
0: what your expectations of leadership were for the 2,000 people working for you? Yeah, and and I'll even flesh that out now for the thousands of people that we work with around the world, is is I believe that an organization is any time two or more people are in a relationship. And if you have influence with at least one person, that makes you a leader. And so if 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 you see everything through that perspective, then even if it's the lowest person on the totem pole, they still have influence with their peers. They actually have influence with the people that manage them. So they actually can lead up they have influence with their spouses at home. They have influence with their children. So even if they aren't having someone report to them in their job, because Jordan leadership is really not a job, it's not a title, it's not a position, it's a lifestyle. And when people learn the tools, ingredients, and behaviors to live that lifestyle, then they have more influence in every sphere in which they work, play, activate, family, and across all business. those. So, yes, because they, they have influence at least one person. And that's a wonderful philosophy you're sharing that
1: leadership is a lifestyle. We are approaching the end of this podcast. I'd like to ask you a final question, which is to reflect upon your years in business, uh, both with Brazos, with the companies that came before that, and uh, currently with transformational leadership. I'd like to ask you to reflect on why it is that you found it so uh, fulfilling and meaningful and important and useful to uh, go about engaging and advancing uh, the public interest in making the world a better place for others. Um, You mentioned your transition earlier from being a little bit more uh, interested in your own agenda, um, but now I'm I'm asking you to speak about why it has been important for you to work for something greater than yourself uh, for the benefit of others.
0: Well, you know, sometimes the easiest way to answer some of those questions is through a story. I'm just going to give you a quick one to give an example. So, one of the companies I worked with was a turnaround, as doing what I do now. And in that turnaround, this company uh, was told, "You got seven weeks, or we're going to close you down." Uh, Within the seven weeks, the company went from making 250,000 from losing 250,000 dollars a month to making 250,000 dollars a month with no increase in sales. Now, a lot of people go, wow, that's powerful. But when we see those kinds of results. That's normal. But let me tell you what's powerful. The CEO of that company, when he was dealing with his anger issues, came to me and so said, I'm really angry with my dad. He's 80 years old, and none of our siblings, none of his children, had ever heard the words, I love you or I'm proud of you. I told him, go to your dad and do what we teach as the six-step apology, which is what I talked about a while ago, and tell your dad. Dad, I've been resentful, bitter, angry with you. I'm sorry. I've been wrong Will you. Forgive me. And watch what happens. When he did that on his knees, his dad put his head in his lap, and he rubbed him on the back of the head, 80-year-old with a 52-year-old son, and said, son, I'm so proud of you. I love you. At the next board meeting, I was sitting there, and I watched the dad go around the room and tell every child how proud he was of them and how much he loved them. Now, you tell me which is more important, saving the company or saving the family? And we have story after story of that. And I love to hear people, I love to get the emails that say, man, after your training, it saved my marriage. I love to hear people say, we got remarried once we had the tools to understand why we got a divorce. And so it's very rewarding to hear that other people are successful. And a lot of it's based on my failures. I mean, I'm very, very open and honest about my failures, even last week when I'm teaching people this week. So, yeah, it is very rewarding and humbling at the same time to, to hear the success stories of how people are changed because you know what, Jordan, change people can help change other people, and those people can help see other people change, and so it starts one at a time.
1: And that has been Ford Taylor, the former owner and operator of Brazos Sportswear Corporation, uh, which was a corporation he grew from a few small investors, a small Sportswear organization to a multi-million dollar uh, corporation, uh, and now the uh, owner uh, of transformational leadership, uh, an organization where he tries to teach others about the principles that he has learned um, while at Brazos. Ford speaks about uh, individuals in society as as men and as women, as full and complete, total human beings. He speaks. Um, uh, coming from the business world, one might expect uh, him to relate to other individuals based upon their role within the organization. This is an employee. This is a manager. This is an owner. This is an investor. But what Ford brings to the table is a very unique perspective, or at least a different one than one might traditionally expect. He's, he addresses each person's humanity, and he appeals to them uh, as as being part of something larger than themselves. is isn't just uh, talk about being part of the organization and making a better profit, but also being a better person and something wholly separate and apart from the mission of the organization. Ford encourages individuals to apply his techniques of the six step apology. He has a spinal column of leadership with about it, almost a dozen elements. Um, he, he, he encourages individuals to to apply those those concepts in every element and aspect of their life. He speaks about leadership as being a lifestyle, more than being uh, a a verb, Um, and that being a leader uh, is is an identity more than a title. He speaks about uh, leadership as being something that can be applied to anyone who is able to influence anyone else, and surely uh, everyone listening to this episode can say that they have at some point uh, influenced another person. So Ford spreads a message of caring about what you're building, about seeking improvement. He emphasizes the importance of family, both for him and for everyone who's listening. And uh, he advances the public interest by uh, emphasizing this common humanity that we have and encouraging more uh, transparency and vulnerability and, uh, and, and and continual feedback loops uh, with other individuals in your life as a means of advancing the public interest. So, Ford, I'd like to thank you for joining us today.
0: Jordan, thank you so much. It's just been quite the pleasure to be here with you, and thank you for what you do and the impact you're having on lives all over the world. Thank you.
1: This has been another episode of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. I'll remind you to subscribe on publicinterestpodcast.com and on iTunes. Leave a review of this podcast on iTunes and listen on Stitcher, SoundCloud, CastBox, Blueberry, Player FM. Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Should you wish to comment on this episode, you're welcome to leave a voicemail at 240-630-0380. And the first three minutes of that voicemail may be played in future episodes of Public Interest Podcast. Should you wish to support the podcast, you're welcome to leave a contribution in an amount that you feel comfortable with at publicinterestpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.